Our reading this morning is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons you have? They are still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Thank you, Colin. Do you ever wear headphones? Now, headphones have come a long way in the last few years. Usually, you know, headphones were these big things you'd put over your ears and have on your head. But now, headphones are so small, they just slot very nicely and carefully into your ears and there's no cord connecting it to a device. You can just have them sitting in your ears. Now, while this is very practical and you can do all things while you have your headphones in and you can be listening to, to music or podcasts or sermons or lectures or whatever it is you want to listen to, it does create some challenges and I have found particularly in the workplace. You see, in our offices here at the church, the office is set up in such a way that the desk is along the wall on the opposite side of the door. And so everyone working away is facing the wall and the door is behind them. And so 
Often, on many occasions, I will walk into someone's office with their open door, knock on their open door, and start a full conversation, only to have that person completely ignore me and keep typing away at their computer. And it's not until I think, why is this person being so rude that I realise, oh, maybe they have headphones in. And so you actually have to go and tap someone on the shoulder and usually take about five years off their life as you scare them so much that you suddenly come into their office. You see, it doesn't matter what I am saying or what I am doing behind them, they're not able to see or hear me. I could be, you know, giving the greatest amount of godly wisdom that they will ever hear behind them, but they can't hear it. I could be busting out like the greatest Beyonce moves they could ever imagine, but they would not see it because they're not listening for me. They have their headphones in. This passage that Colin read so beautifully for us today is part of a series that we're looking at on the life of David. And last week, Tim started this series, but he looked at Hannah and looked at Hannah who gave birth to Samuel, who we then read about is the one that anoints David today. And if you haven't heard that sermon, can I encourage you, go back and listen to it with your headphones in if you want. Um, it is an excellent sermon that, that Tim brought to us last week. But what has suddenly brought us now to 1 Samuel 16, where Samuel comes and anoints David as the future king of Israel. A lot has happened to get us to this point. So very quickly and briefly, I want to get us to the point from the start of the Old Testament to 1 Samuel 16. So let's do this nice and quickly so that we know exactly where we're at and how it is that we've come to the point where Samuel has to anoint David. So when God first created the world and he created Adam and Eve, he created humans to be in partnership with him. God desired to be in partnership with people. And they would then, you know, have authority and control over the world and help the world to be the best that it could be. But it wasn't for humans to be on their own. It was for them to be in direct partnership with God to do this. But as we all know, that wasn't enough for Adam and Eve. And when they sinned and they disobeyed God, it broke that relationship, that partnership, that intimate connection between God and people. But God was not willing just to throw away the relationship completely. Throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, we see God constantly reaching out to try and continue partnerships between God and people. A little later down the track, we read about Abraham and Sarah who even though, uh, you know, all these things were happening wrong in the world, God wanted to keep the relationship between him and people. 
And so he said to Abraham and Sarah, even though they were well on in age, even though Sarah had been barren until this point, God said, through your family, we will build a nation. And this nation, in partnership with me, will be able to show the rest of the world what it is like to be in partnership with a God who loves them and cares for them and is gracious and generous. And so through Abraham and Sarah, we have Isaac and Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. But as the generations continue on and the nation of Israel grows, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt. And they cry out to God, asking him for help and for redemption. And what does God do but through partnership with Moses? He goes and addresses Pharaoh. He, through the ten plagues that we hear about, through walking through the Red Sea on dry land, God, through partnership with Moses and Aaron and the nation of Israel, brings them into freedom, redeems them from slavery. And God gives them the law. He gives them a law so that they know what it is to be in partnership with God. So they know how to live, how to love, how to be generous and gracious, how to live in a healthy way in a community with God at the head. But unfortunately, as, as the nation grows, as they go on, they get into a really unhealthy cycle. Now, when I think of a cycle, I think of uh, when babies are born, a midwife will encourage the, the mother to get into a cycle with their newborn. And you may have heard of this before. It's eat, play, sleep. And then you repeat it for hours and days, and weeks, and months to help your baby deal with being in the real world and to grow and develop in the best way possible. Eat, play, sleep, repeat. You might see these people have kind of added their own things in, like people who really love gaming have got eat, game, sleep, repeat, or, you know, or eat, golf, sleep, repeat, whatever it is, you're into people just slip that in. Unfortunately, the Israelites got into a cycle that wasn't healthy and wasn't good for them as a community. It was sin, repent, redeemed, and they just kept repeating that over and over and over. They would sin, they would decide that everything that the other nations had just seemed so much better than what they had. And so they would follow their gods, they would follow the ways that they did things, only to find that it led them to destruction and disappointment and things weren't going right. So they would call out to God, they would ask for repentance and our good and gracious God would hear their call. He would offer his grace and mercy, even though they didn't deserve it. And he would redeem them. And they'd be in a good place for a while. And then, ah, oh, they would sin again. And the cycle continued. 
as they were going through this cycle over generations and generations, they looked around at what all the other nations had and saw that all the other nations had a king. So they wanted a king as well. They thought that is going to help. That is going to stop this cycle. This is going to be the best thing for us. And so they came to Samuel at the time, even though God had put judges in place to help them follow the law so that they could follow God as their Lord and King, they came to Samuel and they said, we want a king just like all the other nations. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says this, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king will do, who will reign over them will claim as his rights. You see, God was so keen to work directly as their king in partnership with the people. But the people felt they knew better. And they saw that all the other nations had a king, so they decided to have a king as well. And so the first king of Israel was Saul. And Saul was anointed as the king of Israel, and he was a strapping young lad. The Bible talks about how good-looking he is and what a great leader he was. In fact, it even says he was a head taller than everyone else. So clearly, great leader, right? Can you imagine our elections these days if that was the criteria we went through? You know, we got all the candidates forward and basically just measured how tall they were. And the tallest one, it's like, well, congratulations. You are the Prime Minister of Australia. Well done. It would certainly make elections a lot quicker, <laughs> a lot less publicity about it. But I'm not sure if going forward it would make the best decisions. Well, Saul started out really well. And he was faithful to God. He was obedient. He was helpful for the people. But as time went on, Saul became disobedient to God. He started making choices that he wanted to make, even though it was clearly against even the religious standards of the time. And he made decisions that favoured him and what he thought was best for the nation rather than listening to God even when God was incredibly clear with him. So God removed his anointing from Saul. And that brings us to Samuel coming to anoint David. Even though Saul still sat on the throne, a full head taller than everyone else, Samuel came through obedience because God told him that he needed to anoint a new king, a king who was going to be obedient to God, a king who was going to follow God's ways rather than do what he himself wanted. 
But the thing is, is if God was not a part of the story that we've already heard today, if God was not a part of 1 Samuel 16, then the end of the story would be very different to what we have. Because if God was not a part of the story, David would never have been anointed. Remember, as Colin read, it was the the eldest son that was presented to Samuel first. And Samuel thought, awesome, done, here he is. First off the bat, he looks good, he's the eldest, it's all going well, clearly he was tall, he looks like all the other kings and what we've done before, because that worked so well with Saul, right? But Samuel thought, this is good, I will anoint him. But one of the most well-known verses in this passage, and even in the, the Old Testament itself, in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is the eldest son of Jesse. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I have heard this verse many times. I've even included it in sermons that I've preached before. And I always thought that maybe God was kind of chastising Samuel for only looking at the outward appearance. Because if it was up to Samuel, it would have been the eldest, the firstborn, Eliab, who would have been anointed on this day. He looked at the outward appearance. But that's because Samuel was human right? That's all he had to go on, the outward appearance. Think about when you meet someone for the very first time. The only thing you have to go on is, first and foremost, their outward appearance. Then maybe if they start talking, you make other judgments on maybe their education or how they're speaking, where they've come from, their accent, whatever it might be. But the first thing, the only thing we have to go by is their outward appearance because we're human, because that is what we have to go by. And let's be honest, all of us have mirrors in our homes. We all have mirrors in our bathrooms. We all want to look presentable in a certain way. And sometimes we might look in the mirror to make sure that we feel confident with how we look. And, but most of the time, when we're looking in the mirror before we leave the house, it's not necessarily to look and think, wow, I am looking so good today. No, we are aware that as soon as we walk out the door, people are going to notice our outward appearance. And so we are getting a bit of a glimpse as to what people are going to see to make sure that it is what we want to be presenting. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you here. On a Sunday morning, I spend double the amount of time I usually do because I know I'm going to stand up in front of 300 people and, believe it or not, you're all human. And so, whether you've consciously thought it or not, you have made some kind of judgment or assessment 
on my outward appearance. So before I leave the house, I am thinking, is there anything that I am wearing that could be distracting? Is it too short? Is it too low? Is it too long? Is it too high? Whatever it may be. Because when I stand before you, I know that the first thing you will notice is the outward appearance. You're not bad. You're not wrong. You're human. But here God is saying, That while people look at the outward appearance, God looks at something different. To be honest, it's probably Jesse, the dad, I'm most disappointed in, in this this passage. Because Jesse has known his sons, you would think, for a lot longer than Samuel has, right? All Samuel had to go by was the outward appearance. But Jesse knows his sons. He's known them for years. But Jesse seems to be so consumed with the culture of the time, with what is appropriate. And it was totally appropriate for the eldest son to be given the birthright, to be given the blessing, to be given the first choice of whatever it might be. But even when the first son is rejected, Jesse doesn't go, ooh, that's a bit of a change to what I was thinking. Let me now think, Which of my sons would be best as king? No. He just goes completely by age. You get the first son, then the second son, then the third son, then the fourth son, then the fifth son, then the sixth son, then the seventh son. And yet Samuel does not anoint any of them. Because God is not wanting the priority to be the outward appearance. God is not wanting the priority to be the age of someone. God is not wanting the priority to be what the rest of culture says about them. God does not look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Now, in our age today, if you were to say to someone, I'm just going with my heart on this, Usually that means like feelings. So, you know, I've got to work out, do I go with my head or do I go with my heart, right? That's usually how we talk, whether it's your mind or your feelings, your head or your heart. That is not the biblical understanding in the Hebrew of what is meant here. Skip Heitzwig, who's an American pastor and author, says this. In the Bible, the heart and mind are the same. The heart refers to the mind where you process your thinking, where your will is to make decisions and where your emotions are produced. That's the biblical heart. And so in this context, when God is saying, he looks at the heart, he's saying, I see what the person thinks about, what decisions they make, what motivates them. It's heart and mind in our understanding together. That's what God looks at. And I think in this passage, God is saying, you don't have that knowledge. When we meet someone, even after we've talked to someone for a long time, we don't always know what their motivation is, how they're making decisions, what they're thinking about. 
We only have a certain understanding and ability as people. But who has greater ability? God does. God is able to see people's hearts. God is able to understand what motivates people. Only God truly can appreciate the history of a person that has brought them to this time and place. God has greater understanding than any single person could ever have. And the only reason that this passage that we read is different is because Samuel listened to God. Samuel didn't have this greater sixth sensibility to know someone's heart. Jesse certainly didn't have a greater appreciation of what God would want. But because Samuel listened to God, David was anointed as a great king of Israel. In fact, such a great king that all the other kings that came after him, they looked back to see what David had done and how David had acted. Not because of Samuel's ability, not because of Jesse's ability, not even because of David's ability, but because someone listened to God. God still desires to have partnership with us. God still desires to speak to us and work with us so that we live and love and offer grace and peace and mercy in the best way that only he can bring us to. In Jeremiah 29, these incredible verses of encouragement from God say, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God still desires to have that partnership with us. God still wants to speak to you about your life, about the decisions you are making, about the grief and the hurt that you are experiencing, about the praise and adoration that you want to give. God is still listening and God still wants to partner with you individually so that you can live a life, the greatest life that you could ever imagine. So this is where the headphones come in. Because so often we live our lives that it's like we have headphones in. And we are sitting at our desks with headphones in, only focusing on what is directly in front of us and the noise that is all around us. And God could be talking to us right behind us just like I was with my colleagues, right behind us trying to talk to us and communicate with us, but we can't hear him because of the noise that we keep in our lives. God could be doing 
dance moves, even better than Beyonce. I mean, he created Beyonce, right? Betcha that's not an image you thought of of God. <laughs> he could be doing moving in such incredible ways right around you. And yet so often we are so focused on what is directly in front of us, only what we can see in the tangible world, that we miss hearing from our generous, loving, wise, discerning God who wants the best for you and for me. So how do we take the headphones out? How do we listen to God? Well, the great thing is, is there are so many different ways that God talks to us. And he does it individually according to maybe what works for you. What works for you might be different to what works for me. So here is a list, but it is not exclusive. It's just to get us thinking, how are some ways that we can listen to God? And the Bible is such an incredible way we can do it. We don't just say, read your Bible just to you know, put something else into your day, but it's an incredible way that we can hear and listen to God. If you've ever read a passage before, it could be a passage that you've read multiple times, and yet one thing just suddenly stands out to you. Something speaks to you, into your spirit that you've never thought of before or that is really relevant to where you are at at that point in time. That is God speaking to you. If you take time to read and listen, prayer is an incredible way to hear from God. So often in our prayers, we, we give our, our list, our prayers, our petitions before God, and he is always open to hearing that. But as part of our prayer time, we need to stop and take the time to listen. What does God want to say to me? Is there wisdom, discernment, direction, discipline, acceptance, love? What is it that God wants to speak to me today? Dreams and visions are a way that God can speak to us if we are listening. Some people have dreams, really poignant dreams, that help them unpack things and have a greater understanding of who God has made them to be. Sometimes people have visions, particularly if they're praying for someone or praying for something particular, they might see something in a different light and it helps them to have a greater understanding. Sometimes people might hear like an audible voice in their minds, a voice that is different to anything else they've thought of before. And it is God who sometimes desires to speak to us in that way. Sometimes it's through signs and miracles. If you have been praying for something, if you've been asking for something or requesting something, and it actually happens, that's God communicating with us, answering us through actually uh, acting out what it is that we have asked. Maybe it's more of a feeling, more of a peace or a prompting, a feeling within our lives that if we are not attuned to God and what he has to say, we can so easily miss it. And maybe it's actually talking and having communion amongst other believers, 
to hear what it is that God is saying through them to us. There are so many different ways that God wants to speak to you. God desires to give you what you need. Love, grace, peace, acceptance, discernment, direction, wisdom, discipline, whatever it may be that you need or that God feels that you need, he desires to work in partnership with you. But are we taking the time to listen? Are we putting time aside so that we can truly hear from God? Or is the noise of our culture telling us who we should be and what we should do so loud? Is our to-do list, our work, our family, our study, whatever it is that we are trying to achieve, is that got so much of our focus that we couldn't even hear God if he was shouting right behind us? I get it because I do it all the time. I get so caught up in everything else that's going on in my life. It's not until I hit a crisis point or I've got a really big decision to make that then I'm like, okay, I really need God now. But God desires to have this partnership with us every single day. He doesn't always speak to us as much as like, I'm, I'm like a writing on the wall kind of person, like just set it out really clearly for me, God. Doesn't always happen like that. But if I am not taking the time to listen, then I will never hear and never be guided and be reminded that I am a child of God, that God desires to be in partnership with. So to finish today, I'm actually going to just lead us in a time of silence to give us an opportunity to stop in our busy lives and just listen to God. Take a moment to stop and listen. And I will finish with prayer at the end. We're not going to have any music going. There's not going to be a nice instrumental in the back. If the kids are noisy, that's fine. I'm pretty sure God can speak louder than a toddler. But let's take a moment to come before God. If you're comfortable, I encourage you to close your eyes so that you can block out any of the outward appearance that just always seems to take precedence in our minds. And take a moment. There might be something that you've been already praying for in your life. There might be something that comes to mind when you think about having a conversation with God. Something comes to mind straight away. There might not be anything particular at the moment, but you might just want to share whether it's a grievance with God or a, a rejoicing with God. But let's just take a moment, aware of God's presence and that through the Holy Spirit, he wants to speak to each one of us. 
Let's take a moment in silence to listen to our loving God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us your child. And just like a good parent does with their child, you desire to love them and give them guidance and speak to them. We thank you, God, that through your Holy Spirit that you commune with us that you speak to us and give us all that we need. God, we acknowledge that you are not bound by this building, that you are not bound by this time, but that you desire and are available to speak to us at any time in any place. God, we just pray that as we go back out into our busy lives, with everything that our culture talks to us about, with all the to-do things that we have to do and the busyness of our lives, God, may we take time aside in acknowledgement that you are all that we need, that your voice is the most important voice that we could ever hear. And God, we desire to live in such a way that gives you glory and honour. And we strive to live for you, to hear your voice and to be obedient to you and the promptings of our heart. We pray this in our thankful, thankful way for all that you are, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.